Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much prospered as no other people on earth it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes They just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, They will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the 19th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. The President of the United States is back for more. He made it official last night in Orlando, and he did not pull any punches. Our radical Democrat opponents are driven by hatred, prejudice, and rage. They want to destroy you, and they want to destroy our country as we know it. Not acceptable. It's not going to happen. I have to tell you, of the entire, how long was it? 78 minutes, I want to say the uh, speech was last night. The presentation, of course, interrupted by a lot of raucous applause and chants from the extraordinarily overflowing crowd down in Orlando, a crowd that began getting in line 48 hours in advance of the president's appearance last night. This was the most important and impressive line that I heard because it cuts to the chase. It really does. It just, I said he pulled no punches. Uh, he does not leave it open to interpretation. It's not ambiguous. It's not, hey, we see things a certain way and our opponents see things a different way. You know, we respect one another, but we just happen to disagree. Nope. That's not reality. The president didn't say that the Democrat candidates just disagree with me. The Democrat candidates just have a different viewpoint and ideology than I have and that we have. The president laid it all out. They want to destroy you, and they want to destroy this country as we know it. Again. Our radical. 
radical Democrat opponents are driven by hatred, prejudice, and rage. They want to destroy you, and they want to destroy our country as we know it. Not acceptable. It's not going to happen. I cannot overstate the importance of that very simple message. And you have to believe that over the course of the last two and a half years, at what they have done to the President of the United States, duly elected and sworn in as our Commander-in-Chief, what they have done to invalidate his election, what they are doing to try to end his presidency, and what they are doing in trying to stop his re-election, such as state by state by state, passing state laws in Democrat-led states to invalidate the Electoral College, and to make sure that their electoral votes from their states do not go to the candidate that the people in the state voted for, but that they go to whoever wins the national popular vote. So they are surrendering their votes to the coastal elites in New York and Los Angeles, in San Francisco, uh, a little bit in the Midwest to, to Chicago, but you understand the point. The largest, most highly populated, densely blue districts and areas of the United States are going to now take the votes away from uh, from uh, states that vote that may actually vote for uh, Donald Trump. They're going to take their votes away from them, and it's the states who are willingly offering it up. So when you know, or when you see rather, what they have done to Donald Trump, what they are doing to Donald Trump, and what they plan to do to Donald Trump in 2020, when you see that, You know it's real. What Trump said last night is accurate. They want to destroy this country as you know it. Make no mistake about that. More from the president last night. But can you imagine if I got a subpoena? Think of this. If I got a subpoena for emails, if I deleted one email like a love note to Melania... It's the electric chair for Trump. <laughs> it's pretty true. It is. Because they, they, they do not treat him fairly. They do not treat him equally. They do not treat if, if he had done even one-tenth of what Hillary Clinton did, and Hillary Clinton skated for without a special counsel investigation, and without the DOJ doing any investigation whatsoever, without uh, the FBI actually doing a full investigation before writing an exoneration letter for her. I want you to consider all of that. If that had been done for Donald Trump, forget about it. I mean, Trump in the electric chair. And remember, the only thing these corrupt politicians will understand is an earthquake at the ballot box. That's what they will understand, and they're going to see it. The great message, that is exactly what he is going to have to deliver, and they are going to have to deliver for him. Last night, it was a raucous crowd, a party atmosphere, a celebration of accomplishments done, and a hopeful expectation of greatness still to come. Make America Great Again is not complete. I know the new slogan is going to be, Keep America Great uh, obviously, but it's not done. There is still a lot of work to be done, and the president knows that as well. Here's more. We're going to keep on fighting for every man and woman and child all across this land. With every ounce of heart and might and sweat and soul, we're going to keep making America great again, and then we will indeed keep America great. 
I will keep it so great. Better than ever before. We're going to keep it better than ever before. And that is why tonight I stand before you to officially launch my campaign for a second term as President of the United States. Thank you. I'll tell you what, I've got something to say to that. I wish I would yeah scream it mr president shout it mr president because they do want to destroy us and we absolutely have to make sure that capitalism versus socialism in 2020 understand that by the way it's not just conservatism versus liberalism or progressivism it's not just trump versus whichever uh cesspool candidate emerges uh, from that motley crew as the president calls them it it truly is it is it is capitalism versus socialism it is america as you know it versus european style uh leadership and government and if you can see what's going on in europe right now all across that continent for crying out loud you'll understand how important this really is so last night the president getting down to business and that was uh, really great to see now i want to pivot to the cesspool for a moment if i may because we have to talk about joe biden and we have to talk about joe biden's fondness apparently for the good old days Yes, the good old days. Joe Biden remembers them well. Joe Biden obviously is um, very nostalgic for them. He would like to return to them. Which good old days are we talking about? Let's let's listen to the Democratic frontrunner, uh, Joe Biden, talk about uh, how much he misses some of his old pals in the United States Senate. This is Joe Biden. Uh, and hold on a second. We're having a little bit of a glitch here, but let me see if I can break it. This is where it started. And we still have the ultimate civil rights argument today is how can you be constitutionally able to marry and be able to fire in three dozen states when you walk in? It's wrong. It's simply, simply wrong. We've got a long way to go. But imagine the courage it took. Imagine the courage it took 50 years ago to stand up and say, I'm gay, I'm trans, I'm whatever. I'm a lesbian. And you know, and when people started, when people had the courage to come out, stand up and speak, say who they were, all of a sudden people realized, whoa, these folks are just like me. They're just like me. They're ordinary, decent, honorable people. And the public's way ahead of the politicians on this. They're way ahead on marriage, and they're way ahead on the basic rights that every American should have. And I'm really proud of the folks in here and the courage it took to what they did. They started it 50 years ago. All right, that wasn't the uh, clip that I was hoping for, but once I realized it wasn't, I let it play anyway, because you need to hear that, too. Because you need to hear that, too, from Joe Biden. Joe Biden, the public, is way ahead of the politicians on all of these issues involving marriage and involving um, trans and involving uh, all of the things that we see right now with the LGBTQ, XYZ, H, uh, mafia coming after people for their religious liberty. The, uh, the public is way ahead. This is exactly how it's supposed to be. These people are the best. These people are the, the most courageous. No, these are the people who are forcing other people into abandoning their beliefs at the point of a sword. So I wanted to let that play because even though it was not the audio that I wanted, it was worth hearing. Now, what he did say as far as embracing the good old days, embracing some of his former colleagues, is this. He said this at his uh, third New York fundraiser for wealthy donors yesterday. 
Joe Biden talking about former Senators James Eastland of Mississippi and Herman Talmadge of Georgia. Quote, I was in a caucus with James O. Eastland. He never called me boy. He always called me son. He then brought up Talmadge, quote, a guy like Herman Talmadge, one of the meanest guys I ever knew. You go down the list of all of these guys, but guess what? At least there was some civility. We got things done. We got things done. We got it finished. But you look today at the other side and you're the enemy, not the opposition, the enemy, and we don't talk to each other anymore. Joe Biden, waxing nostalgic for the good old days of working with guys who got things done like Eastland and Talmadge. Why am I focusing on this? Because if you didn't hear the Hugh Hewitt show in which he discussed the history of these two individuals, let me, uh, let me educate you. Because James Eastland and Herman Talmadge were two, essentially, Klansmen. White supremacist racists who absolutely loathed black people, opposed civil rights, supported segregation, opposed the integration of schools. These were hateful white supremacist Democrats. And the two guys that Joe Biden chooses to point out that we used to get things done in the Senate because we had civility between us, the two he could have chosen how many former Democrats that he has worked with. Ponder that. How many Democrats in the Senate were there during Joe Biden's career in the United States Senate? The two he chose to reference, Eastland and Talmadge, are two white supremacist racists. Eastland, who died in 1986, said many times that black people belonged to, quote, an inferior race, end quote. Talmadge, who died in 2002 at age 88, denounced the 1954 Supreme Court decision on school desegregation, saying there aren't enough troops in the whole United States to make the white people of this state send their children to school with colored children. End quote. He denounced the civil rights legislation as, quote, sanctions aimed at the white Southerner. He mocked the Democrats who battled segregation, saying, it's easy to pontificate on race relations when your biggest ethnic minority is Swedes. Biden served in the Senate with Eastland and Talmadge when he began his three-and-a-half-decade run in 1973. And he chose these two individuals to highlight people who can get things done. I want you once again to ponder. Had Donald Trump expressed fondness for the ability of two white supremacist racist, racist Republicans in getting things done, holy goodness, what do you think would happen? I want you to understand who these people are. Herman Talmadge, as I mentioned, in fact, i got to take a break here because it's 921. I want to give you more of the details on Talmadge and on Eastland, and I want to know whether or not you think the Democrat cesspool is going to take a run and they doggone well better at the front runner in their uh, primaries. They got their first debate coming up in a couple nights. Are they going to denounce Joe Biden for supporting and praising two essential pointed hood wearers from, from the uh, Democrat Party? 
as being the guys that were civil who got things done. Are they going to go after him? They doggone well better go after him. These two guys are just shy of Robert Sheets' bird. More to come on AM 1420, The Answer, after this. It's the Bob France Authority, here on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 927 as we continue, AM 1420, The Answer, celebrating the president's launch of his re-election campaign last night. Really, really a lot of energy, a ton of excitement. I'm sure not just in Orlando, but I had people texting me from all over the country, friends uh, that I know who are watching and, and just kind of cheering along. It's uh, it's very exciting to see positivity in the face of, obviously, so much negativity about the president, so much negative coverage, so many lies, so many distortions, quite frankly, so much fake news so it's really good to see the president pushing back fighting back and saying we are not going to take a back seat and he is not going to allow uh uh anything that the democrats are doing to stop the great momentum we have in this country and we truly do all right let me uh, go back briefly here okay i want to talk a little bit more about the two buddies that joe biden decided are the ones that he wants to highlight uh about the great days of the senate when the senate got things done when there was civility when there was uh, uh, opposition as opposed to enmity. Uh, Herman Talmadge was a white supremacist and a staunch opponent of civil rights. Even as the civil rights uh, movement gained media coverage and increasing support around the country, he was very happy to argue against it. In the face of the popular movement of civil rights, he was part of the very small but staunch opposition. Uh, Blacks in Georgia... Uh, when he started his career in 1956, were still disenfranchised under state law. And uh, during his time as U.S. Senator, um, he, incre- he, he, dec- he continued to argue against voting rights for African Americans. After the Civil Rights uh, Act was passed in 64, Talmadge, along with more than a dozen other Southern senators, boycotted the Democratic National Convention in 64 boycotted the Democratic National Convention because how dare they show support for civil rights for African Americans. This is the guy that Donald Trump, one of two guys Donald Trump chose to shine a spotlight on and say, yeah, them's my boys. Those are the guys who got things done. How many senators in 36 years did he share that uh, chamber with? And the two he chose, Eastland and Talmadge, here's a little bit more. Uh, on uh, on Talmadge. In 1973, Talmadge was appointed to the Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities, which investigated uh, the Nixon administration, activities of the members of the Nixon administration, uh, which is fine. Later in his Senate career, after that, however, he became embroiled in a financial scandal after an extensive investigation by the Senate. He was censured 81 to 15 in 1979 for improper financial conduct. So here's a guy, a wanton racist, who believed that um, blacks should not be allowed to vote, should not be allowed to go to the same schools as whites, who cheated uh, with his financial uh, uh, engagements while in the Senate to the point where he got censured by the Senate. And this is one of Joe Biden's buddies that he that he longs for. Eastland might have been even worse. 
James O. Eastland, also selected by Joe Biden as, uh, as a model of, of uh, senators who got things done, might have been even worse. And I know I've got, uh, <laughs> my goodness, i got so many, so many more things to share with you about this, but it is 930, so let me get to our news. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about James Eastland, and then I'm going to ask you, especially if there are any Democrats in the audience today, are you going to support Joe Biden, who stands before crowds and declares that Donald Trump is a racist? Are you going to allow him to get away with this? Are you going to support him as the Democratic presidential nominee? A man who literally in 2019 expresses fondness for and wishes to return to the times of two prominent Democrat racist white supremacists leading the Senate and getting things done. Are you good with this, Democrats? Let me hear from you. 216-901-0945. Back after this. All right, it's 936 as we continue on AM 1420. The answer, we're going to have to come back to the uh, subject uh, at hand of Joe Biden and his uh, longing for the good old days of uh, racists and uh, white supremacists and segregationists uh, in the United States Senate. We'll do that in a bit, but I want to shift gears just a little bit now. The threats to the United States by China, Russia, and Iran. We have discussed all of the above at various points in the last several weeks and really over the last few months, especially since the tariffs uh, led to uh, a bit of a trade war with China. Obviously, we're in the middle of some very serious problems with Iran right now. They are enriching uranium way past uh, the limits that were set by an international agreement. Uh, and of course, Russia, we continue to have a lot of geopolitical problems with. What are those threats and how do we deal with them? Joining us now to discuss uh, is a man who will be giving an address on that very topic to at the a Portage County Tea Party meeting uh, coming up on Thursday evening in Ravenna at the Maplewood Career Center at 7 p.m. Greg Lawson joins us now. Greg is uh, a contributing analyst with the online geopolitical consultancy Wikistrat. Greg, good to have you here. How are you? Doing very well. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, really great to have a chance to talk about uh, some things I think a lot of people need to, to understand really well. You know, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I could not agree more. Um, I don't know if people are paying as much attention to these foreign policy matters, uh, because right now they're enjoying such great domestic bliss when it comes to the economy, when it comes to wages, when it comes to jobs, when it comes to opportunity, and so on and so forth. Things are so great domestically, a lot of people aren't paying attention. Uh, maybe they are when they find out that Iran is blowing up or trying to blow up oil tankers uh, and being very aggressive and trying to figure out what our response will be. But uh, by and large, I don't know if people really are paying attention. So tell me why we should be. Well, because this is the kind of stuff that, that could, in the long run, uh, lead to a significant decline for the United States uh, geopolitically and around the entire world. Uh, Russia, China, and Iran are all sort of interlinked in certain ways. Uh, in, in some ways, they obviously have their own unique attributes, and they're very distinct. China obviously is, in most respects, the greatest challenge because they're the largest economy. They uh, are on track to eclipse the United States economy within a generation, uh, All thing, if, if things continue the way that they are right now. Uh, that would be the first time since the end of the 1800s that another country has had a larger economy than the United States. Uh, so that is a could be a massive uh, change in things. In fact, China used to be the largest economy in the world until the 1800s, uh, and so they are actually sort of going back 
and, and kind of resuming a historical place. But that's a place that nobody in the United States has ever had to navigate and deal with. Russia has, still has the most uh, nuclear weapons, aside from the United States, in the world. And you know, I think a lot of people think that obviously there's no way something bad can happen. But you know, during the Cold War, there were a lot of near-run things where, not just the Cuban Missile Crisis, but a number of other occasions where if one person chose a different path, we might uh, quite literally not be here. Uh, and they still are the only country in the world with enough nukes uh, to literally lay waste to the United States. Uh, so you've got to deal with them. And Iran can uh, potentially block, or at least temporarily block, a very important area. It's called the Straits of Hormuz in the Persian Gulf. It's where a ton of oil from the Persian Gulf uh, has to go through and transport. That's where these incidents just happened with the uh, two uh, oil ships. And, of course, if they, they do something like that, the uh, oil prices will spike, and we know what that can mean for an economy uh, around the whole world. And certainly, even though we get less imports now because of fracking in the U.S., uh, the price could still uh, be a real problem for the U.S. and the good economy we're talking about. So when you look at all those different attributes, and, and the fact is, uh, right now, uh, China and Russia are generally backing Iran, Iran was just meeting with Russia and China at a big uh, conference in one of the former stand countries, the former Soviet Republic, uh, Kyrgyzstan, last week. Uh, so there's a lot of diplomatic cover that they are giving to each other, and there are an awful lot of economic webs that are being tied, uh, kind of led by Beijing and China, uh, to tie in Russia and Russia's economic plans and also other countries, including Iran, who has a lot of oil and gas that uh, China wants to get. So all of these things are sort of linked together, and the bottom line is we need to start thinking about how are we going to have a holistic approach. And I think that's one of the areas where the U.S., uh, both the folks in the public need to be aware of this and understand just how serious this is, and then uh, you know put pressure back on our congressmen and our elected officials to uh, start thinking about this holistically. I think too often we stovepipe stuff and say, oh, we got a Russia policy and a China policy and an Iran policy. But actually, we need to start thinking about this stuff uh, cohesively because they are interrelated. We are talking with uh, Greg Lawson, who's giving us a preview of his talk that he's going to give on Thursday at the uh, Portage County Tea Party meeting. It's part of the uh, Portage County uh, uh, Tea Party Speakers Bureau. And uh, Greg is a contributing analyst with a uh, geopolitical consultancy, Wikistat. Greg, um, when in the topic is obviously as Greg is discussing discussing now the threats to the U.S. by China, Russia, and Iran. When you talk about China and Russia backing Iran, are they backing Iran unconditionally? Do they support them exceeding? international limits that were imposed upon them by uh, by uh, um, enriching more uranium. They admit that they are on track to surpass that even, I think, as early as this week. Uh, do they support their attacking of the uh, of the tankers? Uh, and if we do something militarily in response, uh, and I'm not saying anything like that is imminent, but Senator Tom Cotton said twice over the last three days that this unprovoked attack on the tankers deserves and, and really calls for a uh, an immediate military response um, uh, against the nation of Iran. If we do that military response, are we essentially inviting uh, a military conflict with Russia and Iran, uh, Russia and China as well? Probably not directly. Uh, neither Russia or China, I don't think, are going to put military assets in on this situation. But what they will do is make life increasingly difficult diplomatically and in terms of what they do with other countries. So what they're going to say 
is that it's the U.S.'s fault. They're going to say the U.S. is the one that pulled out of the uh, Iran agreement that was negotiated by the Obama administration. They're going to say that we were squeezing Iran, that Iran was provoked, uh, and that this is how the U.S. runs the economy, this or the global economy. This is the U.S. using financial resources, things like our global reserve currency, where a lot of countries trade their goods in U.S. dollars. It gives us uh, an awful lot of privilege relative to other countries in the world because they're trading stuff in our currency, and everything is convertible into our currency. It's a, it's a very important thing. It's what the British used to have when they had the pound was the global reserve currency at the height of the British Empire. They're going to say that we misuse that, uh, that we caused what happened, uh, and they're going to start trying to peel a lot of countries that are swing countries out of the U.S. diplomatic orbit. And I think that's what is going to, and I think they will do that. They're already starting that. China and Russia both are, are making a lot of uh, statements to that effect because of sanctions that we've put on Russia since the Crimea crisis several years ago. Obviously now with the uh, tariffs and the trade war that is uh, already happening with China and, and could potentially, depending on, on uh, where negotiations go, expand. Uh, China saying that as well. And so they're going to say, look what you're doing. They are beating up and bullying other countries. They're breaking agreements and they're manipulating the global economy. Maybe it's time that we start shifting away. And interestingly enough, uh, Russia and China just had a big meeting a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, uh, Putin and Xi Jinping, the president of China, have, uh, talked each other up as being each other's best friends. And one of the things they're trying to do is start doing cross border trade, uh, convertible in their own currency. And this gets kind of complicated, but what it boils down to is they're trying to move away from having to do everything in dollars. They're going to use this Iran situation, especially if it turns into some sort of a military conflict. And even if it doesn't, but especially if it does, uh, they're going to use that as an excuse to continue to try to bring in other countries and say, we need to shift away from this and stop the influence of the United States. Uh, India was just meeting with Russia and China as well. Now, I think India is an interesting case. There's a whole lot of things with India. They're their own unique and separate uh, issue and we're trying to work closely i think with india but uh they're going to look out for their own interests and if they get nervous it's unclear where they're going to go so what's going to happen is a big diplomatic offensive and it, it won't necessarily be a war but it would be uh concerted efforts by multiple countries to diminish the economic influence of the united states and while that won't be like a light switch that flips overnight over time that could greatly reduce our ability to trade in other countries and it could also reduce our ability to influence other countries. And it would put uh, countries like China in particular, and Russia to some extent as well, uh, in much more influence, especially in their regions, and to be able to push us out. Greg Lawson is our guest. Greg is a uh, contributing a contributing analyst to uh, Wikistat, which is an online geopolitical consultancy, and he will be the keynote speaker at the uh, Portage County Tea Party meeting on Thursday. And I want to make you know, or let you know rather, that um, uh, Tom Zawistowski, of course, president of the Portage County Tea Party, has informed me less than thirty seats remain. Less than thirty seats remain. You have to register uh, for this event uh, by going to the Portage County Tea Party website, which is portagecountyteaparty.com. Simply. Enough, simply enough. But this will be at the Maplewood Career Center on Thursday, 7 p.m. in Ravenna. Uh, Greg Lawson will be presenting the threats to the U.S. by China, Russia, and Iran. Let me ask you one more question before you go, Greg. And, uh, and I'm sure you'll probably get some of this uh, from the audience on Thursday. With respect to Russia, um, where 
where is our relationship with that country now under Donald Trump? We all know that the uh, last two and a half years we've been consumed by the Trump was aided by the Russians. Russia colluded with Trump, et cetera, et cetera. And even if Trump didn't collude, they wanted him to win. Um, is our relationship with Russia better or worse with Donald Trump as president, given the fact that he has been far tougher on the Russians than, for example, the last president ever was. That was confirmed by Obama's own ambassador to Russia, Mike McFaul, uh, who pointed to the sanctions, toughest in years on Russia's elite uh, under the Trump administration, selling uh, uh, lethal weapons to Ukraine in order to help them defend themselves against Russian aggression, which is something that Obama did not do. He's fired missiles at Syrian military sites and targeted strategic operations and allies of Russia. I mean, Donald Trump is a thorn in Vladimir Putin's side, but the left would have us believe that uh, uh, that Donald Trump is a Putin puppet. Uh, so what's, what's the real story? What's your analysis of that? Well, I think that the relations are clearly worse. There's no doubt about that. Now, inter- I have a different take than a lot of people do, uh, both uh, people of both parties, and that is mm-hmm. that I think Trump actually is right to want better relations with Russia. I think Trump has said that as himself. Now, I think there's a lot of people in his administration that don't necessarily subscribe to that view, but I think the president does, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's been attacked so vociferously. And I will, uh, that part of my presentation uh, is to kind of go through the post-Cold War history of Russia, but even before Putin was around, to sort of explain from the Russian perspective what they think happened after the collapse of the Soviet Union. I mean, it was a real disaster. People's lifespans declined after the fall of the Soviet Union for the Russians. The, 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 the 1990s were a great year, decade for us, but it was a disaster uh, for them. And Putin stabilized Russia. Uh, so whether you love him, hate him, and most people obviously in the West hate him, and a lot of Russians still respect him because he brought stability. And there was a lot of things in, in, in diplomacy that goes back to the Bill Clinton era that I think was uh, not ideal from the United States perspective. And I think that we have unintentionally uh, exacerbated natural tensions between us and Russia and made them a lot worse long before Trump was ever around. And I think what's happened because of the, the whole election fiasco and every and, the, and really, quite frankly, a lot of Democrats uh, not being able to handle the fact that the president won um, is that they have sort of cornered the president and they have reduced his flexibility. I've actually argued for years, even before the Crimea situation happened, that one of the most important things we could do to deal with the long-term challenge of China, who is by far the most challenging geopolitical actor we face because of their economic heft and, and growing military prowess, uh, is, to, is to try to work with the Russians, kind of like Nixon did. I mean, people remember Nixon went to China and actually sat down with Mao Zedong, who was a much one of the biggest, in fact, arguably the biggest mass killer in the whole of human history. But Nixon and Kissinger worked with uh, Mao to counterbalance the Soviet Union during the height of the Cold War. It's almost as if we well, probably we need to start considering as a reverse of that policy from the 70s uh, relative to China. And I think to some extent that's what the president uh, kind of would like to do. And I think Trump, Trump the man, Trump the president, is probably right in that move. But I think he's been uh, tethered in because of the domestic political situation. And I think actually it's a tragedy. Because what's happening is as the relations continue to deteriorate with Russia. They continue to look east, and they are actually falling into China's embrace, and they are helping to tilt kind of a whole balance of power uh, in the favor of the Chinese. And when you wrap in the whole Iranian situation, that is where I think we are facing uh, a real challenge. We've never seen kind of an alliance in the whole Eurasian landmass, when you think about it, uh, ever. Uh, at least not since America has been a great power. 
And that is a real challenge. And we don't seem to have a strategy for, uh, for dealing with that. And to me, this is one of those things that 30, 40 years from now, people are going to look back and go, why didn't we do something different about it? And, uh, I fear that we're frittering away our ability to, uh, to, uh, to, to remain, uh, the number one power, uh, because we don't have an appropriate strategy to deal with threats. Wow. Uh, you know, it's, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier on when you talked about needing a holistic approach because you can't really address any one of these three nations and our, and our relations with them and our problems with them individually because they are all impacted by one another. That's why the topic Greg Lawson will present, uh, on Thursday at, uh, the Portage County Tea Party meeting is headlined, The Threats to the U.S. by China, Russia, and Iran. If you want to attend this, you have to register. Go to portagecountyteaparty.com. There are less than 30 seats remaining. I am told that was before we started talking. Who knows how many are left now, so don't wait. portagecountyteaparty.com to listen to Greg Lawson with the uh, geopolitical consultancy Wikistat uh, presenting on Thursday evening at 7 p.m. again in Ravenna. Greg, thanks for the preview today. Great analysis. I appreciate it. I hope we can call on you again as these situations develop. Is that all right? Absolutely. Thank you very much. That would be great. Thank you, Greg. Greg Lawson joining us here on AM 1420. The answer, it's 952. We're going to take a quick time out, come right back. Maybe squeeze a call in or two. Maybe not, but I'll let you know right here on AM 1420. The answer. Bob France here on AM 1420. The answer. Onward, we roll. I've got something good for you here. Um, as we approach the top of the hour, Alliance Defending Freedom. I've been telling you about this, obviously, for a long time as we continue our June appeal to assist this tremendous ministry, which is providing such so many important legal services free of charge to the victims of... Um, political agendas being advanced by various special interest groups, social justice groups, and more. They are trying to essentially take away your religious liberty in order to expand uh, their own uh, their own power base. And uh, Alliance Defending Freedom is just taking up case after case after case, and here's a new one. Two transgender girls kept high school track runner Selena Soul from advancing in the New, Eng- New England girls track regional. Soul needed to be in the top six runners to advance, but came out eighth because of two boys competing in the girls' race. Why? Because they say they identify as female. So now she is taking legal action. And yes, ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, is filing lawsuit on her behalf, a lawsuit on her behalf to uphold her rights under the federal law providing equal access to women in education known as Title IX. Uh, one girl explains, when I was in the indoor season, I was in eighth place at the state open, and only the top six qualify for the New England regional meet because there were two transgender athletes, meaning biological boys, that knocked me down and put me into eighth place. If they weren't there, I would have been in sixth, and I would have made it into the finals and would have qualified for the New England meet instead of watching my own event from the sidelines. This is another example. And she, by trying to say, hey, they shouldn't be running with the girls, she is the one who is called a bigot. She is the one who faces the discrimination when all she is looking for is a fair fair, shot. Uh, And this is exactly what ADF does so well. So we support Alliance Defending Freedom, and you are 
killing it. Keep going, though. We now are down to 19. We need 19 more donors at $100 each by the end of this month. You're doing a great job. I cannot thank you enough for your support for this important ministry of attorneys providing free legal services to victims of these uh, uh, political agendas and political action organizations, these social justice warriors. We need 19 more donations of $100 to meet the goal so that we can help People like this runner and help, of course, business owners and students and schools and others who continue to be targeted by uh, these social justice organizations. Here's how you can donate $100, please. And it's all tax deductible. Donate it today. Get it back in April. It's just that simple, right? Call 800-691-8969 to donate to Alliance Defending Freedom. 800-691-8969. Or go onto our website, whkradio.com. Click on the Alliance Defending Freedom banner at the top of the page. It'll take you right to the Freedom Fund donation page. And please donate. And by the way, if you are of the means to donate more than $100, if you can afford a $200 tax-deductible donation or a $300 tax-deductible donation, please find it in your heart to give. It is that important. If you can't quite make it to 100 because of your means, but you can donate 50 or 25 please do that as well. All is welcome, and so much is needed. Again, call and help 800-691-8969 or donate online at whkradio.com. Ryan Morrow, Clarion Project, next, right here on AM 1420, The Answer.